0: Good morning. So our first reading is Luke sixteen one to 18. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, "'Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450.' "'Then he asked a second. "'How much do you owe?' "'A thousand bushels of wheat,' he replied. "'He told him, "'Take your bill and make it 800.' "'The master commended the dishonest manager "'because he had acted shrewdly. "'For the people of this world are more shrewd "'in dealing with their own kind "'than are the people of the light.' I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches?' And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, he will give you property of your own. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, Our second reading is in Luke 17, 1 to 10 Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The Apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. will he drink will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, "We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty
1: i 'm fascinated by the, the differences real. Or imagined between generations that people talk about. I was chatting to a guy at Mawson Lakes University, UniSA there the other day, who had studied in the 70s and was now returning to study again. And he was back as a student and um, I was trying not to laugh as he was lamenting the changes that have happened since then. I studied in the the late 90s myself and and even since then there's been massive changes. But as he was describing to me the online lectures and the lack of life on campus, I could understand his his frustration and his confusion. Do you know that this is the first year that Gen Z is hitting uni campuses? It'll be interesting to see how things go. Hopefully they get a better run than Gen Y because Gen Y cops a lot from everyone. I love this quote from one of the many disreputable websites that you can read about these sorts of things. It comes from an article called Perception Versus Reality, 10 Truths About the Generation Y Workforce. You can tell it's written by a baby boomer because it's the Generation Y. And the first Generation Y perception is that they are spoiled or entitled And this guy who writes this article says, okay, that's the perception but here's the reality and he writes, to an extent the folks in this generation do have a sense of entitlement but it's not an entirely inherent personality flaw but partly the fault of baby boomer parents who coddled their children, constantly telling them how special they were and that anything they sought was possible and rewarding rewarding them for every little thing providing trophies and prizes simply for participating these parents stunted their children's growth by proactively removing all obstacles and potentially negative experience so yes on the surface generation y workers appear entitled i love this you might complain baby boomers but remember it's all your fault And on this article, the other perceptions about Gen Y that were addressed were that Gen Y is lazy, has a poor work ethic, little respect for authority, is too self-centred and individualistic, has an overinflated and unrealistic expectation, is not committed to work, no loyalty to employers, lacking in social skills and needy. Ouch! <laughs> now, this might be a Gen Y kind of reaction, but how could you baby boomers let this happen? What were you thinking as parents? Sorry, I'm I'm actually not even Gen Y, I'm just in Gen X. Thank goodness, gosh. The reality, of course, is that every generation has got its strengths and flaws. And when it comes to work, these strengths and these flaws are going to be expressed in different ways. But I was thinking about it, when it comes to serving God, these strengths and these flaws are going to be expressed in different ways too. And even if a quarter of what they say about us Gen Ys or Gen Xs is true, even if a quarter of that's true, and if it really is true that baby boomers have failed in the way that they've brought us up, then we've got some challenges ahead of us in how we serve God, because serving God is not easy. Today we see what faithful service looks like in God's kingdom. And one thing is for sure it isn't easy. This is what we're going to see. We see that faithful service in God's kingdom means shrewdness. It means going beyond the law. It means watchfulness against causing people to stumble means forgiveness and finally faithfulness in God's kingdom, faithful service in God's kingdom means servility. Today we're briefly going to look at each of these five aspects of of serving in God's kingdom and because there are so many points we're going to spend a little bit longer on the first one but we're very briefly going to pass, uh, spend our time just briefly in each of the other ones. So the first thing that Jesus teaches here is that faithful service in God's kingdom means shrewdness. Like Barb said, last week we saw that Jesus challenged the Pharisees to share God's heart. God is the God who seeks the lost and rejoices when the lost are found. And now Jesus challenged the Pharisees about that, but now He turns to His disciples. And with a really strange parable that Mario just read for us... He urges them to share God's heart too, but not to stop there. He urges his disciples to use their minds, their intelligence, their focus to actively seek the lost. The parable is very strange because the main character is very shady. He's he's dishonest, but he's commended in the parable by his master for his shrewdness. And Jesus says he wants his followers to be like this character in just one way. He wants us to be shrewd. Look at verse 8. He says to his followers, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And he says to us, verse 9, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings the dishonest um, manager in the in the parable was very motivated he was very motivated to make friends for himself in this life but Jesus is saying to us that we should be more motivated more motivated to, than him to make friends for the next life friends. Who will dwell with us in God's kingdom forever. We shouldn't just be motivated in our hearts to see people in heaven, we should be shrewd in our actions. Shrewd's a, a strange word, isn't it? It means having good powers of judgment. Now, you know, it can be negative, like it can mean being cunning and crafty, but in a, a positive sense, it means being alert being astute, sharp-witted, clever, perceptive, calculating, savvy. Does that describe you? The dishonest manager spends his master's resources shrewdly to make friends and Jesus urges us to spend God's resources, all the stuff that God has given us, shrewdly, to see people come to know Him. Faithful service in God's kingdom means shrewdness. Now, I'm guessing that we struggle with this because Jesus says right here that the rest of the world is is better at this than us. The way of the world is to be incredibly shrewd in getting what we want for life right now. That's kind of the way of the world, isn't it? And some of us are, are better at this than others. Like some of you are incredibly intelligent At making money. But very few of us are incredibly intelligent at being shrewd for God's kingdom. Why is this? One reason is because we very easily make the same mistake as the rich man in Jesus' story down in verse 19 which we skipped over in the interest of time and because we looked at it sort of briefly in the all-ages spot. But like the the rich men, we constantly forget that life is not all about now. And as a result, we're not highly motivated for the life to come. And when you're not highly motivated, it's very difficult to make shrewd decisions. We need to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap that the Pharisees had fallen into. Because Jesus says to his followers in verse 13, have a look with me. So, to his disciples, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then what happens is that the Pharisees are listening in to Jesus' conversation and look at how they respond to him in verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So, at this point, Jesus turns to them, and what he says to them should serve as a warning to us as well. Verse 15, he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Doesn't that stick in your head? What people value highly is detestable in God's sight, loving money, serving money, being shrewd in the pursuit of the here and now, putting our enjoyment over the basic needs and over the eternity of others, these things are detestable in God's sight. Now, we shouldn't make the mistake that of hearing Jesus say that God detests worldly wealth, that's not what he's saying, is he? After all, God made it, He owns it and He gives it to us to manage. What He detests is when we love it and make worldly wealth our God and ignore the needs of people around us. And what He loves is when we use our worldly wealth in the pursuit of what He values. Here at T&E, we are people who value what God values... Or at least that's our goal isn't it and so I want to pause here and just ask us are we also people who are making shrewd decisions shrewd choices I've never been shrewd at making money in this world I've got to say I mean I can't really tell you the difference between income expenditure assets debit credit it's all boring to me but what's not boring to me what inspires me is that despite my stupidity and lack of shrewdness in business, God can use my careful decisions, my investment in people and in ministries, my kingdom shrewdness, God can use that to see people eternally brought into His kingdom. That inspires me, doesn't it inspire you? Now if you're not like me and you actually have the gift of business intelligence And business shrewdness, then why not combine it with kingdom shrewdness and intelligence? I thought it'd be actually helpful for us to just consider a couple of examples from history of people who've done this. Do you remember William Tyndale, who we looked at a couple of months ago? He translated the Bible from the original languages, so Hebrew and Greek, into English for the first time ever and it helped fuel the Reformation in England maybe more than anything else. Behind William Tyndale was a guy called Humphrey Monmouth, a cloth merchant who funded William Tyndale's translation of the Bible. Was that a shrewd use of his wealth? We are directly indebted, not just to Tyndale, for what you guys are holding right now in your hands. We're directly indebted to Monmouth too. Or behind William Carey an amazing missionary to India in the late 1700s. Behind him was a, a man named Andrew Fuller. William Carey said to Fuller, I will go down the well. It was a pretty scary thing to go into India at that time. He said, I will go down the well if you will hold the rope. And Andrew Fuller held the rope. And today, people like this, there are, there are many, many people like this who use their worldly wealth behind the scenes to see people come into God's kingdom. People fund church plants, people give up high-paying jobs to work for charities or to do kingdom work and us too, when we give to CMS or AFES or that kind of thing, we're playing our small but significant role in making shrewd decisions. Some people rejoice over their business investments, their kind of portfolio. I've got a friend who's in ministry, um, who thinks of his ministry investments like this. He invests in CMS in Africa, in Compassion in Indonesia, in AFES, in Adelaide. Now, he thinks of it this way, not so that he can pat himself on the back and feel proud, but so that he can remind himself to value what God values. Are we valuing what God values? And do our decisions show that we are being shrewd? I thought it'd just be helpful to point out, though, that we don't just make shrewd decisions in those kind of large things, or, you know, we don't just make shrewd decisions when we subcontract out ministry. In our own lives, the kind of decisions we make can be incredibly shrewd as well. When I was 14 years old, there was a guy who was about 24 who bought for me a book and gave it to me. It was John Dixon's book. The cover's been updated a lot since then but this is the one I got called Hanging In There. Let me tell you, this book had a lasting impact on me. The guy who gave it to me, he'd become a, a Christian himself as a teenager and his life was turned around and he wanted to see people in God's Kingdom. Another time, he paid for me to go on a Christian camp which also had a lasting impact on me. It was the early 90s and as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, he could have used that money and go on to a Bon Jovi concert or something like that. But two decades later, don't you reckon he made the shrewd decision? And in 10,000 years, when I introduce you to Dave, I'll tell you what, I'm only going to think more and more that it was the shrewd decision. See, our shrewd use of what God has given us in this life, we can use to shape who will be with us for all eternity... God has given us an enormous privilege to be involved in this work. Are we making shrewd choices? Now, I'd love to talk about this more, actually, because I think there's actually so much more we could say about this. Like, for instance, generally, I think we live above our means. You know, we stretch ourselves to get the house that we want and it's a stretch, or the car that we want and it's a stretch. And in doing that, we clip our wings robbing ourselves of the joy of of making shrewd decisions for what God values. I'd love to talk more about this but we don't have time today because faithful service in God's kingdom means shrewdness but also faithful service in God's kingdom means going beyond the law. These next four we're going to move through pretty quickly so stick with with me if you can because there's some complex things in here as well. Over the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus calling people into God's kingdom and then he's been teaching them what it's like. We've seen that it's radical, unorthodox. We've seen that it challenges the status quo. Listen to how Jesus puts this in verse 16. He says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, since that time, The good news of the Kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. That last little bit can also be translated and it's probably better to translate it like this. And everyone is strongly urged to enter it. See, Jesus is saying that right up until John the Baptist, so just a few months earlier, the era of the law and the prophets has been in force. But things have changed now. The status quo has been turned upside down. Jesus brings a radical new message of God's kingdom and God strongly urges everyone to enter it. But, just because Jesus challenges the status quo and fulfills the law and the prophets, it would be a mistake to think that he destroys the law and the prophets. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Now, is it just me? Or is this quite confusing for you too? The law and the prophets are proclaimed until John and now with Jesus, the kingdom is proclaimed instead but nevertheless, the law doesn't pass away. How does that work? Well, verse 18 is Jesus giving an example of what he means by this. Have a look at it with me. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It might not be obvious at first reading, but what Jesus is saying here is that faithful service in God's kingdom means going beyond the law. Not destroying the law, going beyond it, exceeding it. You see, following the mere letter of the law, I could divorce my wife relatively easily, actually, in order to marry someone else. And still, I could technically be within the requirements of the law, even though my heart was well and truly outside of it. But in the Kingdom of God, if I value what God values, then divorcing my wife in order to marry another will never be an option. Now, this is not everything that there is to say about divorce in the Bible, by the way. And it's just one example of how service in God's kingdom means going beyond the law and exceeding it. And our minds can jump to all sorts of questions whenever divorce is mentioned in the Bible. But it would be a shame if our, if our questions cause us to miss Jesus' point. Jesus is saying that in God's kingdom, it's not acceptable to technically be faithful while our hearts are actually unfaithful. God desires faithfulness and commitment to our promises, whether it's in marriage or wherever it is. And faithful service in God's kingdom means going beyond the letter of the Lord to its heart so that our hearts line up with God's hearts. Jesus then tells the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. We're going to mostly skip over it because we sort of looked at it in the all-ages spot and we've got a lot to cover today. But essentially, you have a man there who lived for this life only. A man who loved and served money and who held no pity for Lazarus, even though he knew him by name, saw him daily at his gate, still he failed to care about him. And in so doing, completely disregarded the law and the prophets and so disregarded the life to come. And most importantly, he disregarded God. And Jesus says, even if someone was resurrected, Even still, it wouldn't shake him and and people like him out of his blindness of living for this life only. Our problem as humans is not that we don't have enough information or that we don't have enough evidence. Our problem is that we love to live for this life only. And if we do that, it's not going to end well for us. Faithful service in God's kingdom means living now in this life for what's to come. Next, we see that faithful service in God's kingdom means watchfulness against causing people to stumble. Have a look with me at verse 1 in chapter 17. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come but woe to anyone through whom they come. Now, if you're like me at this point, my mind jumps to people I can think of who've stumbled and and have taken other people down with them. But Jesus wants our minds to go elsewhere, somewhere else. Have a look at verse 3 so watch yourself, watch yourselves. Faithful service in God's kingdom means watching ourselves against causing people to stumble. Do you know, I've sat through a sermon and on this passage, this very very verse, and at the time the minister who was preaching the passage was having an affair, found out later on. Do you know what that says to me? It's very easy to ignore Jesus on this and it's probably more difficult than we would think it is to watch ourselves. See, I need to ask myself, where am I at risk of causing people to stumble? Where am I at risk of, instead of winning people to eternity, driving them away from eternity, driving them away from Jesus? Jesus tells us not to be naive, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. You know, the the classic risks usually spring to mind and they're usually to do with abuses around sex, money and power and they're real risks. But there are others too, legalism, hypocrisy, manipulation or, or just being lukewarm. These can cause people to stumble too and God hates them equally. Again, don't mishear Jesus here. He's not saying his followers are perfect. And neither is he saying to his followers that we're to be judgmental and and cut off people who stumble. Jesus is very clearly telling us to watch ourselves here. In fact, Jesus says, rather than cutting people off, faithful service in God's kingdom means forgiveness. Look at verse 3. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. It's fascinating that the emphasis here is on us, when we're wronged, we're not told to sit on it or ignore it, we're told to rebuke but with the goal of forgiving them if they repent. This is radical. So many of us, when we're hurt or offended, we we just want to avoid the situation or we cut people off But faithful service in God's kingdom means taking the initiative in forgiveness by giving people the chance to repent. And then it gets even deeper, look at verse 4. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Can't help but think of my morning with my kids today. (laughs) If only they'd come back and repented. Anyway, I'm sure I probably need to go to them and repent too. But apart from kids, surely that's pushing it, isn't it? Imagine if, if someone else here, who should know better, an adult, did this to you seven times and then comes back. It's pushing it. The apostles certainly think so. Look at their response in verse 5. Increase our faith. Unless we value what God values, we'll have no chance of this. But Jesus says that even if we've got the tiniest glimpse of who He is and what His kingdom is like... That's all we need. We have more than enough to serve God. Finally, for today, Jesus says that faithful service in God's kingdom means civility. We could be tempted to think that this kind of service of God that we've seen today is spectacular, couldn't we? We're shrewd with our money, we go beyond the law, we watch ourselves carefully. We forgive and forgive and forgive. And what comes next? We pat ourselves on the back. And we expect others to do the same. And we expect that even God is impressed as well. But Jesus teaches us that faithful service in God's kingdom means civility. Look at verse 10. So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants... We have only done our duty. Our service of God is nothing remarkable, no matter how devoted it is. It's still just simply our duty. I think this is actually a very important point. Because if we look to our service of God to find our worth and our identity in God's eyes, then very soon we'll end up in one of two places... Either we'll end up standing there with the Pharisees in pride and judgment on everyone else below us. Or we'll slump in despair at our complete inability to live up to God's standard. If we tie our worth to our service, there are only two options. God calls us to serve Him. Yes. But He doesn't accept us because of our service. In fact, he first accepts us and then he calls us to serve him. Just a little bit later in Luke, in Luke 22, Jesus says to his disciples, who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? Of course it's the one at the table with servants around him. But then he says, but I am among you as one who serves. Jesus serves us. Not because we are worthy servants, but because of the heart of God. The heart of God is to welcome unworthy people into eternal dwellings. So Jesus serves us by going as far as dying for us on the cross to welcome us home. When we serve God, we're just doing our duty. But what a duty! What a privilege. What a joy. When we value what God values, then our faithful service in God's kingdom, shrewdness, going beyond the law, watchfulness, forgiveness, civility, when we value what God values, these they're not a burden, they're freedom and they're joy. Let me pray for us that God Would help us value what He values so that we can see serving Him in that way. Heavenly Father, our minds and hearts are so drawn to live only for this world and to cut you off from being God or to see you as a convenient accessory to make life in this world more wonderful. Lord, open our eyes to value what you value and to see just how truly wonderful you are. To allow you to be God in all your fullness and holiness and power and authority and Lord mercy. Lord, it blows our minds that in Jesus you would stoop to serve us, unworthy people. Lord, as we stand to serve you, Help us to do it wholeheartedly, valuing what you value, motivated. Lord, motivated by the privilege of being involved in your work, of seeing people come to know you for all eternity. Lord, make us shrewd in our decisions. Give us great power of judgment to make decisions that will affect the destiny of people for all eternity. And we thank you so much that you choose to use us in this. Lord, open our eyes so that we can serve you the way that you want us to and help us to see it as freedom and a joy. We pray this in Jesus' name.